Come on. Come on. We are so excited that you're here today believing that God's going to do some incredible things. Now, we know you love Jesus because you showed up at the 9 a.m. for Daylight Savings Time, and, and we're excited that you're here, and hopefully God is going to, not hopefully, we know he's going to speak to you in such a really powerful way. If you are a first-time guest with us this morning, we want to say welcome. We consider it an honor that you would choose to be here, uh, especially since you lost an hour of sleep. Church, can you do me a favor help me welcome every person here for the first time? Come on. And for those of you who are tuning in online with us, we want to say good morning to you as well. My wife and I, uh, Tori, we planted this church a little over four and a half years ago with the goal of creating a church that didn't have to be endured when it could be enjoyed. Because our hope is that you would engage in the local church with what God is doing. And we are in week three of a message series called Mo Money. Turn to somebody and say Mo Money. And in this series, we've been talking about really financial stewardship and how to manage the resources that God has entrusted us with. And so on week one of this message series, we talked all about the purpose of prosperity. And the reason why God wants to increase you financially is not just so that you can have more stuff and nicer things. I don't think God minds you having nice stuff. But the reason why he wants to bless you is so that more people will ultimately come to know him. The reason why he wants to bless you is so that you will be a blessing to others. And then last week, we talked about the promise of tithing. And we kicked off a 90-day giving challenge where if you gave for the next 90 days, uh, maybe you took that step of faith for the first time. At the end of those 90 days, if you feel like God hasn't blessed you, we'll return every dime of it back. Because God gives us a promise in Malachi to test him in the area of of finances. And we believe that next steps are something to be celebrated. And last week, 39 of you took that next step. So come on, can we celebrate that? I was talking with somebody in the lobby and it was really cool. She was like, Pastor, they don't get it yet. And I was like, what did they not get? <laughs> they helped me out. And she said, you know, we talked about not, we talked about tithing months ago when we were in the old facility. And I came to you and said, Pastor, I know we talk about tithing, but I can't tithe. i got to pay my bills first. And I told her, that's not how tithing works because it's not. It's a first fruits principle. And she said, well, well I just want you to know, I took, I took your advice. I started tithing, and, uh, and, and everything was going good. But a few weeks ago, my heat went out. And, and my heat went out, and I didn't have any money to pay for it. She said, but... Years ago, I had a 401k, and I had wiped all my money out of my 401k after the death of a, a family member. But they just so happened to call this week and tell me I had $2,500 left, which was everything I needed to pay for that heat. So when you trust God with your first, he covers the rest. He covers it. And so this week what I want to do is I want to end this message series on money talking about the power of multiplication. The power of of multiplication. If you have a Bible, you can join me in Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read through the entire passage of Scripture that I'm going to teach today, and we're going to go back and break it down verse by verse. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 14. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Matthew 14, 14 says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's, it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy some food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. You ever had somebody give you what seems to be an impossible task? <laughs> Jesus says, nah, we don't need to send them away. You, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, he answered. Bring them here, he said. 
Then he told the people to sit down on the grass, and Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven, and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to women and children. I love this parable because it's one of the most iconic stories that people tell about Jesus. If you grew up around church, if you grew up in Sunday school, you have colored a picture of this miracle. The five loaves and the two fish, as Jesus feeds 5,000, is one of those really iconic stories that people begin to tell so much because it's a miracle that Jesus does. And what I love about this is from the very beginning of this, what we see is Jesus has a passion for people. When Jesus comes to the shore, Jesus has been doing ministry for a while, and what he doesn't do is he doesn't say, well, let me go get checked into the hotel first. Let me go find, give me like a day's worth of rest, and then we'll do it. As soon as Jesus gets off the shore, he has so much compassion for these people that he begins to jump straight into ministry. He begins to serve people and love people. The problem is Jesus didn't take his disciples to lunch before they started having church. When, when, when the disciples look at, I don't know that the people were hungry as much as the disciples were hungry. They're going, Jesus, we started church at 9 a.m. And it's 3 o'clock. And I'm getting a little bit hungry. I kind of need some food. And, and Jesus would probably look at us and be like, come on, you're paid staff. Get over it. But... But if we tell him the people are going to get hungry, we see he's got compassion for them. We see he loves them. So they approach Jesus and they, they probably send Peter because Peter talks a lot. And Peter comes to Jesus and Peter says, Jesus, we're in this remote place. There's no Costco. There's no, there's no food court. Let's send them away. We've had church for a long time. We've had a good time. Let's, let's send the people to go get some food. Let's just let's close church down for a little bit. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> you feed them. In other words, Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, hey, yes, you've identified a really big problem. But you know what I want you to do? I want you to fix it. I wonder how often you and I see problems in our life and expect somebody else to take care of the problem. Where we look at a problem or we see something, for, for these disciples, they see the issue of hunger in other people. I wonder how many times we've looked at someone who's homeless and gone, somebody else will take care of that. And really what God's looking at you and I is saying, you take care of that. Because what I believe is every single problem that you and I see is something that God is positioning us to fix. And the beautiful invitation for you and I as followers of Jesus is that God invites us not to just be seers of a problem, but to be a part of the solution. 
So they see this issue. People need to get fed. Jesus looks at them and says, well, you feed them. And immediately the disciples begin to do an inventory of what they got. They're thinking to themselves, there's no time to set up the articles of incorporation to begin a concession stand ministry. right? There's no way that we can get enough food delivered in time to feed these 5,000 people. How in the world are we going to do it? We've only got a few things. The first thing I want you to realize this morning is that God has blessed you beyond what you currently realize. God has blessed you beyond what you currently realize. See, what the disciples didn't realize in this moment was all they needed to feed 5,000 was what they already had. What the disciples didn't realize in this moment is that What they saw as an only, God saw as an opportunity. Look at what Matthew 14, verse 17 says. He says, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. I wonder how often you and I get stuck in we only. How often we say to ourselves, well, I only have a beat up car. Only have a small apartment. I only have a... A job that I hate. I only have this or that. Or maybe it's not the if only of taking inventory of what we currently have. It's the if I only had this. Oh, I could be a part of the solution really easy if I only made more money. And I could I could serve and I could be generous with my, my time if I only had another day off. I, I, if I only had this or I only had that. And what we have to realize is that God has blessed us with everything we need. You and I, when I talk to people about time, we, we wear busyness as a badge of honor. right? We, we, I'm just too busy for that. Do you know all of us are afforded the same amount of time? Now, we're not afforded the same amount of years. Because some of us eat worse than others, right? And, but we're all, we all have the same access to 24 hours a day. How we choose to prioritize that time is the difference. If we get focused on what we only have, we'll begin to miss out on all that God has actually given us. When's the last time you took inventory of what God's blessed you with and thanked him for it? The disciples look at these five loaves of bread and two fish as a problem, not a blessing. They see it as an obstacle that stands in their way of what Jesus is asking for, rather than an opportunity for God to do what only he can do. What if I told you the miracle you need, you already have all of it? Other, uh, I could teach this, I ain't got time, I'm already at 24 minutes, come on. Do you you know that that when you get saved, you don't get like 10% of the Holy Spirit? You get 100%. And so we look at people who are further along in their faith journey than us, and we go, if I just had more of God. You don't need more of God. You just need less of you. Because if you would get less of you, you'd get more of him. Because he gave you 100% of himself. I'm going to keep going. Second thing for you today is that God will bless what's in his hands. God will bless what's in his hands. Matthew chapter 14, verse 18. We just read verse 17 where the disciples look and they go, Jesus, we've only got some bread and some fish. 
Verse 18 says this. Bring them here, Jesus said. Notice it's that same word bring that we saw in Malachi. That we bring the tithe into the storehouse. And we talked about it last week. That we can't give a tithe. We have to bring it. Because we're simply returning to God what's already his. Jesus has full ownership of what these disciples have been entrusted with. Because everything was created by him and for him. Colossians chapter 1. So Jesus says bring it here. And then he said... He told the people to sit down in the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up towards heaven and he blessed it. Notice Jesus has the authority and the ability to bless the bread and the fish in the hands of the disciples, but he doesn't. Because in order for the disciples to see a miracle and for God to bless it, they had to relinquish control of what they had. What is in your hands will feed a family, but what's in God's hands will feed 5,000. If you and I choose to take what we have and hand it to God to place it in his hands, he's able to do more than we might ask, think, or imagine, Ephesians 3.20. God can do more with what's in his hands than we could ever do with it in ours. And many of us want to touch from God in our finances. We just don't want God to touch our finances. And you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. I love what uh, Luther says. He, he says that, that he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So either God is the one who's in control of your finances and you've placed it in his hands or it's still in yours. He says, bring them here. As you and I begin to bring the, what we've been given to God, he's able to bless it. And I don't want to spend my life holding on to something that could just feed my family, when if I gave it, it could feed 5,000. I don't want to spend my life just getting by when I could be blessed beyond all imagination by simply bringing what I have and placing it in the hands of God. Bringing releases control. And I don't know about you, I kind of like control. I know you don't struggle with this issue, but, but I do. I like control. I like to have my hands on it. I like to be able to touch it, feel it, smell it, taste it, right? Like I am, if I, I honestly, when it comes to finances sometimes, I'm like, Look, God, I know you own everything and you don't need my money. And because you don't need it, let me just hold it. And I, I think that, that sometimes I can do better than God can. The reason why bringing it to him is so important is because it breaks the curse that's over our finances. It breaks the curse of control that money has over your life and mine. Bringing to God is symbolically saying, I'm giving it over to you, knowing that you can do more with it than I could. It's in bringing, and we talked about this principle last week, that what's bound on earth is bound in heaven, and what's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. So when I hold on to what I have, God holds on to what he has. And when I choose to give or bring, God brings and he gives. We'll continue reading it, give you this third point. Subtraction is the only way to addition. 
in the kingdom of God. Subtraction is the only way to addition. I love uh, in, inserting myself into the middle of a story in the Bible and, and really getting a glimpse of what it was like to be there in the moment. Because when you do that, you begin to read Scripture through a whole new light. So, so I want you to see this. Um, Peter, let's just use Peter for an example. Peter has talked to Jesus about feeding these 5,000 people. His plan was that they go and they, they go away. That's not God's plan at all. God's plan is for him to be involved in the solution. Now, Peter then hands the bread over to Jesus. Jesus looks up to heaven and he blesses it. And then scripture says this in verse 19. Then breaking the loaves, he distributed it. He, he gave the bread to the disciples and he distributed it to the people. So this is what Jesus does. Jesus says, God, bless this gluten. And it wasn't gluten at the time. He blessed this and he broke it. And then here's what he does. He gives this to Peter. Now, I'm not good at math, but here's what I'm saying. If I'm Peter, I gave Jesus a whole loaf of bread, and I got a portion of bread back, and he told me to feed 5,000 people with it. That doesn't math right. That doesn't work. If, if, if I'm Peter, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, here's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to, we're going to set up a pop-up tent for Jesus. He's going to go into the tent. He's going to walk in. I don't know what he's going to do. He's Jesus. I don't even need to know how he does it. But he walks into the tent, and then all of a sudden, the tent opens, and there's bread and fish everywhere. And people get to go in, they get to get whatever they want. Or maybe Jesus is concerned about traffic flow, so we take baskets and then we give them to the people. He had them sit down anyways. If I'm Peter, I'm not thinking Jesus is going to look up to heaven and go, God, bless this. This is going to be able to feed 5,000 a day. Here you go, Peter. Go run. I, I don't think that works. I'm not sure that I trust that process. I'm not sure that I really am on board with subtraction. I just want it to multiply. But in order for it to multiply, it has to first be subtracted. In order for God to multiply the relationships you have, there's some that you have to lose first. In order for you to experience an increase in your finances and for God to multiply your bank account, you've got to start subtracting a little bit. You've got to start giving and sowing and investing. Because until you subtract, God doesn't add. The beauty of this miracle is it was through breaking that there was blessing. I think sometimes you and I refuse to be broken by God. We refuse to allow God to come in and do what he does best, which is, in essence, to break the things off of our life that are not of him. In order for you and I to get good wine, something first must be crushed. In order for you to get a diamond, there has to be pressure. The way God works is that there's pressure and there's subtraction. And as you and I begin to see a decrease in some things, he begins to bring increase. So as he's breaking the bread and giving things out to the disciples, in, I don't think it looks like a miracle. I think it looks like chaos. 
And if you're anything like me, as you begin to see God, if you begin, as you begin to follow God in, in faith, you're going to begin to doubt sometimes. I don't know if Peter was vocal, but I'm sure he was curious of going, I gave him a whole loaf, he gave me part of a loaf, and he said, good luck. How is this going to work? But you know what I love about this? Is that Jesus could have made the show all about himself. He could have been the one who passed out all the bread. He could have been the one who sat on the throne and just said, look at what I did. But he gave the bread back to the disciples to give to the people. Because the miracle that God wants you and I to be a part of is something that requires him, but he uses us to carry out. Look at this beautiful invitation. Jesus is the one who multiplies the bread. The disciples didn't have anything to do with that. But they're also the ones that Jesus looked at and said, you fix the problem. This is the grace of God, that he asks us to do something that seems impossible, but with his help, it is possible. And as he breaks the bread, as he gives it to the disciples, they see a subtraction in what they have, but ultimately, they see an increase. I believe that some of us need to just take into consideration that God wants to remove some things from our lives so that he can bring addition. I already mentioned some of you, some of you don't need to wait for God to remove some relationships. Some of you need to be proactive in removing some relationships. Some of us need to look at the, the loss of a job and not see it as a subtraction, but really see it as God's way of addition in our lives. Some of us need to start looking at the ways we give and not think of it as something we're losing, but something ultimately that we're gaining. When we give our time, yes, in order for you to make a difference in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to sacrifice some time. But it's through subtraction that you'll begin to receive addition. I remember when we were... Um, so we started this church, 2000, September 20th, 2015. It, we uh, had our first opening weekend. There was like 164 people who joined us. And thank, thanks, thanks to great leadership and godly you know, wisdom and counsel over the first year, I grew the church all the way down to like 50 people, right? Like, I mean, come on, subtraction, right? So, so we were running about 50 people. And, and I remember... Um, 50, 60. I, I remember there was one weekend where uh, Mount Pleasant High School had, they were painting the stage. Um, and they relocated us to the gym. And we, which was the worst, like some of the worst worship experiences. Not that God showed up because that's how God works, but like they were miserable. We, we like low light. You know, you can't get that in a gym. It's either on or off. Like there, it was just, it was just messy. So I get up to preach and, and literally seven people are sitting there. And I'm like, this ain't working. <laughs> it ain't working. And I remember leaving that day and getting in my car, and, I, and, I, and, and we didn't go to lunch with anybody because I, I wasn't in a lunch mood. Right? I get home, and I remember sitting there thinking, we're a part of a church network called ARC, and, and I love what ARC does. In, in fact, um, I was just hanging out with some art guys in Florida, and 70% of the top 100 fastest growing churches in America are art churches. 
Like there's, the ARC is a big organization with a lot of life-giving churches. We just planted our 900th church, and it's, it's incredible. But, but sometimes when you're one of the little guys, it feels a little bit overwhelming. And I remember sitting at, at the house just saying, hey, I'm going to spend the rest of my life fighting and coaching the little guy. Like, I, I understand the struggle, I understand the stress that we're in right now, and if, if I spend my time coaching the little guy, he's going to know he's not alone. And so I took it. I, I, I looked at my schedule, and I was like, I can't afford to really spend a lot of time, but I feel like this is what God's telling me to do. And the moment we started investing time, energy, and effort into blessing other churches and coaching other pastors is the moment that God began to increase our church. The moment we began, the moment I began to shift my schedule to say, okay, I'm going to spend time coaching and investing in other pastors and leaders. I don't just travel and fly out a lot because I like flying. I like pastors. I like coaching people who live consistently discouraged. I like helping people who nobody's looking out for. And when we started doing it, here's what we believe and we say this as a, as a staff. When we focus on building God's kingdom, he blesses our castle. So we spend time, energy, and effort. Yes, it costs something. Yes, it's subtraction. But ultimately, it brings addition in ways that we never thought were possible. Fourth thing for you is this. Actually, verse 19. Let's read Matthew 14, 19. It says, then breaking the bread, the loaves, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed to the people. They ate all as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 Baskets of leftovers. Number four, people were impacted because of their willingness to give up temporary fulfillment for eternal impact. Now, I want to say it again because I, I try to stay away from long points, but people were impacted because of their willingness to give up temporary fulfillment for eternal impact. These disciples were hungry. These disciples, when they went and did inventory, had enough to sneak into the break room and have a meal for themselves. They had enough to take care of the little group of people that they had. And they could have. They could have eaten that day and come back to Jesus and said, we crunched the numbers, we took inventory, it ain't going to work. You ever prepared a meal for people and, and not ate it first, right? Like, no, while you cook, while you prepare, you eat it. The disciples looked at what they have. We've only got this much. But we know you're a miracle working God. And so they take it and they place it into the hands of God. And it's in the hands of God that God blesses it and he breaks it. And ultimately, he begins to feed 5,000. Scripture says 5,000 uh, men and women were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Because in this time period, they didn't count women and children. They just counted men. So what most scholars believe is it's estimated that the people that were there that day were between twelve and 20,000 people. I want you to see this for a moment because one person's lunchbox, one person's dinner pack fed 12 to 20,000 people. 
And that's exactly what happens when you and I choose to give up temporary fulfillment for eternal impact. The whole purpose of this More Money series, Mo Money, (laughs) more, that's how white people say it. The whole purpose of this Mo Money series is that you and I would begin to learn that ultimately the thing that God's called all of us to do is to leverage everything we have for eternal impact. I'm not telling you in this series to not buy a nice car. I'm telling you in this series to take into consideration what you could do if you bought a $10,000 car instead of a $30,000 car. Because you could give $20,000 to help lost people meet Jesus. I'm not telling you to not buy a nice house. I'm saying if you have to pick between a 250 and a 350, you pick the 250 so that you can help more people meet Jesus. It's leveraging what we've been given for eternal impact. Let's pull back up verse 20 because I love this. Had the disciples held on to what they had, they would have had just enough for themselves. But look, they broke the bread. He gave it to the disciples. They distributed it to all the people. They ate as much as they wanted, completely full. If you've ever tried to divide some food between 12 men, you know that never happen. They got to eat as much as they wanted. And then the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. It wasn't everybody. It wasn't the 5,000 that got to take a goodie bag home. It was the disciples. Because when you entrust God with what you have, he doesn't just give you what you wanted the whole time, but he begins to give you more than you ever knew you needed. When you begin to trust God with what you have, it's not that you just have enough. It's that you have more than enough. It's that you get leftovers and that you have more than you ever thought you needed in the first place. What I love about this story is if you and I in this room today took an inventory of everything God gave us and we just chose to hold on to it, the people in this room would be impacted. We would be blessed. But if you and I all came together and began to leverage our time, talent, and treasure towards helping more people meet Jesus, it's not just this room that's blessed. It's Mount Pleasant that's blessed. It's Locust that's blessed. It's Midland that's blessed. It's Cabarrus County. It's Stanley County and Rowan County that are blessed. Because it only takes one person's meal to impact 12 to 20,000. What could God do through what you've been entrusted with? What could God do if you took what you have and you placed it into his hands? I, I, love, um, I love the illustration of seeds. I'm not a planter. We got any planters in the house? Right, you, you like, you plant stuff. This, these are cucumber seeds. And the interesting thing about seeds is really you have two options with seeds. There's, there's three options, actually. Let me, there's three options. If I never open that seed packet, 
and I just set it in the counter, I would hoard it. I wouldn't do anything with it. It would just sit there and it would never fulfill its intended purpose. That's, that's one thing you could do with seeds. The other thing you could do with cucumber seeds is you could consume them. They're not very good. I hope there's nothing wrong with doing this. You can consume a, a cucumber seed. It doesn't really taste as good as you thought it would. I think sometimes that's what we do with our money. Brother, we, we look at what God's given us and we just start consuming it and we thought it was going to bring more satisfaction than it really does. There's a third option, though. You can actually help it fulfill its intended purpose by planting it. And what you don't realize is maybe you don't, maybe you do. That when you plant something, you actually give it the opportunity to do its intended purpose. And not only that, but it creates more seed. And that seed leads to more plants. And those plants lead to more life. And what I'd simply submit to you today is that with what God has entrusted you with, don't settle for hoarding it. Don't settle for just consuming it when you could plant it. You know the other thing about planting that's so difficult sometimes is that when you plant something, oftentimes you never see it. There's a season where you don't see it working. I think the enemy sometimes causes us to uproot seeds prematurely because we sow it and then we get a little bit nervous because we don't see immediate results. But what we need to remember is that God is a God who does things under the surface. That while we are waiting, God is working and every seed you plant will not return void. So let me tell you a few places that you're planting. For you and I, we're planting seeds locally as a church. Last year, thanks to your generosity, we wrote a $4,500 check to the food pantry in Mount Pleasant to help cover cost and expansion and say serve more and more families. You're, you're a part of that. Scripture says to store up treasures in heaven, like to receive crown. You need to know when you give to this church, you're not just giving to keep lights on. We're giving back. We're making a difference in this community, and that's credited to your account. Thanks to your generosity locally, another thing that we do is we periodically send gifts to teachers in all of the schools here. And the reason why we do that is, is not just because we think they need gifts. It's because we want to remind them that they're seen, that they're not forgotten, and that we're so grateful for their investment into the lives and the training up of children. You're planting seeds nationally through uh, planting churches all around the world through ARC. I told you that, that ARC is the church planting network we're a part of. And thanks to your generosity, we just planted our 900th church all across the U.S., and then we're grateful and we're excited for that. ARC exists to see a thriving church in every community reaching people with the message of Jesus. And let me, let me just share this with you. Because of our investment into ARC, here's the cool thing. Last year combined, ARC churches gave more than $40 million to missions. 
Do you want to talk about something that's worth celebrating? The fact that we're giving a few thousand dollars to help plant churches, and it's turning into $40 million to make a difference. That's how the power of multiplication works. You're not just making a difference locally and nationally. You're making a difference internationally. We're planting churches with ARC, but, but let me tell you about Hope Coffee for a second. You know that coffee you drink in the lobby? They're one of our outreach partners. And they're not just sending us good coffee. One of the things that they're doing is they're sharing the gospel in foreign countries through creating jobs for farmers. And in worlds and areas where they're so anti-gospel, now they're beginning to hear about the hope and the message of Jesus. And we get to hear stories of people all around the world who are meeting Jesus thanks to your generosity, thanks to our church and, and our financial teams being willing to not just hoard what we've been given, but to plant it. And not only that, you're making a difference internationally. We're, we're prepping for a trip right now, and I'm going to Brazil this summer to invest into uh, about 300 pastors to spend time with them, coaching them, training them up, because we're going to make a difference locally, nationally, and internationally, and you're a part of planting. But every plant starts in seed form. So let me ask you this. What will you do with what God has entrusted you with. The purpose of this series isn't to get more money as a church. If you feel that way today, don't give. The purpose of this series is for you and I to understand that God really, really, really cares about how we use what we've been given. Let's pray. And Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your goodness and your grace this morning. And God, we ask that as we begin to look at everything you've entrusted us and everything you've given us, that you would begin to do what only you can do in the area of our finances as we trust you, as we subtract, as we choose to be generous, that you would bless us beyond all imagination. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. And for some of us here today, we have a trust issue. So we trusted money, we trusted things, and we trusted stuff. But today is the opportunity where we begin to trust Jesus with the control of our life. And if you're here this morning and you're not trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to begin a relationship with him, would you just lift your hand and say, hey, that's me. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Will you say this with me out loud? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, will you stand your feet and help me celebrate this morning?